Let me ask you something. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That would probably creep you out. Well, that's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet provider stores logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Worse yet, the government can obtain your data via bulk FISA order, even if you're not personally suspected of any crime. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash mullen right now and find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mullen. Protect your data and get three months for free today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen talks freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. I'm here today with our old friend Jason Rink, who's been on the uh, podcast before. And, uh, of course, anybody in the liberty movement knows his name. And for those of you who might be newcomers, he's an award-winning documentary director. Uh, he works with many Fortune 500 companies as a film producer and video content creator. And uh, he's made quite a few uh, documentaries, including one on nullification, which is something that's back in the news today. Kind of. We can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Jason, so good to have you back. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, man. It's good to talk to you. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I just saw today you posted somewhere, I think it was on Twitter, your speech from the Nullify Now uh, tour. And um, I just uploaded a full version of the nullification movie to Twitter today. So we were totally on the same page, man, like thinking about what's going on in Texas. And, you know, I mean, we're not in full nullification uh, secession mode here in Texas yet. But, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of backbone happening here against the federal government. Well, it's kind of funny because um, my position has always been that that uh, regulating immigration is not uh, a power delegated to the federal government. And, you know, the reason I that's my position is James Madison told me nowhere delegated to the federal government. And he should know something about what's in that document since he wrote it. Um, but um, they're not really asking to they're, they're demanding that the feds do do immigration and since they won't well we're going to do it ourselves so it's not exactly a perfect fit <laughs> but hey you know it's uh it's texas what do you want hey, what do you hey, want? hey baby steps you know i mean <laughs> you you know and it's funny because when that when when i put that film out nullification that was in like 2011 i believe is when that got released and, um, you know, it was such a radical idea. And, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center came after us, like, you know, and it's like, look, we weren't even openly calling for secession in those events, man. We were just talking about pushing back on bad federal laws. But, um, you know, I think you've seen this, too. You know, I think I think the idea of the states pushing back and the concept of nullification has really started to 
you know, rise up over the last few years, especially during the COVID days, you know, we started to see some of that stuff play out like in real time, you know, like, oh, the states could make different rules about things, you know, and some would do this and some would do that. And and so I think the more examples we have to point to of of how the states and really the people of the states, let's just be real about what this is really is happening here, um, feel like they have the power to do something, you know, that's always a good thing, whether or not it's being done imperfectly, you know, and whether or not. Yeah. But uh, but we'll see what happens, man. It's an interesting time to be alive. That's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we were taught, I can't believe it's 14 years ago that uh, and what what Jason and I are referring to for everyone listening is uh, there was an event by the 10th Amendment Center. It was actually a tour that they were doing of events. Yeah. Um called uh nullify now and they had one in orlando and they they called it 10 10 10 because it was october 10th 2010 and i spoke at that one and uh lots of you know tom woods spoke at it and uh, and a more lucid gary johnson <laughs> spoke yeah. at that one <laughs> back then before i think he bought that uh marijuana company and started uh recreating with the product <laughs> or whatever happened in the last election he ran in but um uh, and one of the things we should point out, you know, yeah, we called all these names, but nobody's calling any of the states that nullify the federal marijuana laws, you know, whatever it is, white supremacists, secessionists, the usual litany of, uh, yep. of, uh, character assassinations, um, because all oh, that's one, that's one we like, but right now, as we speak, it is illegal to possess or sell marijuana, even for medical purposes, in the United States, according to the federal government, states have legalized it and just said, we're doing it. We, exactly. we don't, we're, we're nullifying that federal law. It happened. And uh, now we have this thing at the border. Yeah. You know, the potheads showed us the way, man. They did. <laughs> nobody thought they were, nobody thought that they were going to rise up and do anything. And maybe that's why it took 20 years, right? Or whatever it's taken. But, uh, but yeah, so it's good, man. It's good to relate around that. And we've both been, you know, in this fight in our own way for the last 15 plus years anyway. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to look back on time. You know, it's interesting to look back on, you know, the Ron Paul movement and saw what came out of that and like the Tea Party movement. And then some of the people have gotten into office from that. And then the Trump movement and then, you know, move you know through through that jan 6 and like then what's happening now you know it's like there's this through line of of liberty thinking but it's like this rocky road and also what we're seeing a, a lot now isn't isn't you know rooted necessarily in fundamental principles right uh yeah. <laughs> i think a lot of what we see happening is just very is political strategy in in many ways you know right. um that that's that so that's the that's the frustrating part is it's like you can't count on them to get this right on all the issues because it's yeah. not coming from this place of you know Ron Paul was so great because he had that sort of foundation and that worldview that was built and that was consistent and uh but that's not what you can say about many of these folks 
No, there, there's a lot of forget it. He's rolling. You know, <laughs> was yeah. it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> Germans, <laughs> forget it. He's rolling. Uh, and that's you know, that's the best I think we could do right now. Um, listen, you the last time you were here, uh, you were persona non grata, and I, I know that we talked about your film Q sent me, which was um about um uh, the January sixth uh, protester with the the buffalo horns, but I think. The pro- the problem you were having at the time was having to do with interviewing what was it Nick Fuentes? Yeah, yeah, and uh, just out of Vegas viewers, or something. <laughs> yeah, just to give your your listeners a little bit of a background, you know, in 2020 after the Trump, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Joe Biden election, um, I saw the election protest movement get going. You know, I was not deep in MAGA or anything at that point. Um, uh, but I just thought it was an interesting story. I got a filmmaking partner of mine, Paul. I was like, hey, what are you doing the next couple of weeks? Let's jump on the road and like film this thing. I didn't really know where it was going to go. So we embedded with the Stop the Steal movement. I followed around Ali Alexander, you know, Roger Stone. Um, Nick Fuentes was there. Um, a lot of these, ca- Alex Jones, this cast of characters that people have come to know you know, we're involved in either that or January 6th in some way. And, you know, because of my coverage of that Stop the Steal movement, it led me to the Capitol on January 6th. Outside the Capitol, by the way, never went in, <laughs> never set foot on the, uh, I never went past the red line. Um, and uh, and so through that journey, ended up also interviewing um, the QAnon shaman, you know, actually weeks before January 6th, we interviewed him. And then we interviewed him the January 7th in D.C., two days before he got arrested. And he ended up being arrested and was in prison for like 31 months, I think, is what it was as a result. And so all of that to say, I found myself with a series of different stories that I wanted to tell out of that. One of them was on um, Jacob Chansley. And we just released the second episode of that Um out on a service called Movies Plus. People can find it at mymoviesplus.com. So it's the it's the complete story of what happened to Jake. And um, and then also, you know, I, I did this little short film. I, I produced it. I didn't direct it, but I did. I was highly involved in it. A story about a guy who, you know, mentioning his name will get you canceled many times. Um, guy named Nick Fuentes. And, um, you know, I was just interested in in what he was running up against in the world of having the federal government seized a half million dollars from his account. He was put on a no-fly list, all as a result of January 6th, really. Um, He wasn't charged with a crime. And so that, for me, was the story I was interested in, you know, because I've always believed that if they can come after the people that no one will defend and sort of violate their rights, then it's easier to come for everybody else's, right? You know, they come for the Alex Joneses of the world, they come from the Nick Fuentes of the world and people don't care. And, you know, and so, yeah, just by even doing that film, I ran into a lot of problems, um, you know, got canceled from some hotels in, in Las Vegas. And, you know, it was just a, a crazy situation. Um, so, yeah. And then I figured, well, might as well just do another film about January 6th or on, <laughs> you know, whatever. And so over the last year, I've been working on another film called J6, A True Timeline, which just came out on January 1st. You can find it online. It, uh, you'll find it on my Twitter, 
pinned to the top of my Twitter at the Jason rank, uh, because I did finally get my Twitter account back. And our goal with the J six, a true timeline was we saw that there was all of this content coming out about J six. Um, you know, HBO puts out their doc, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi's daughter puts out her doc, you know, all of this, but we thought, you know, I had I'd managed to get the largest archive of January 6th footage that I know anyone possesses. Um, you know, body cam, security cam, uh shot by just regular people, all of that, you know, thousands and thousands of video files, you know, thousands of hours of video. And we said, what if we could go through this and create sort of a, t- a time-stamped timeline of the events as they unfolded um, to give people a better understanding of like when what happened and how that day went down in a way that would be less editorialized than most of what's happened out there. So, so yeah, that's sort of the that's sort of the litany of projects I've done over the last couple of years, and uh, kind of what what we've recently worked on. Yeah, I want to talk uh, about the actual content of the film. I wanted to ask you, I know you were there filming that day. Um, is, is anything that we see in the uh, documentary some of your own film, or is it mostly stuff that they released uh, recently? Or, or what, what are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, um, we crowdsourced like a lot of this footage. And, and you know, m- most people have heard that the federal government hasn't released a lot of the footage from that day. And that's true. We have been getting footage dumps from Capitol security cameras. Uh, we get them almost every week now. Um, but but until, you know, I don't know, just a few months ago, we didn't really have any. But what people don't know is that uh, a lot of footage is out there from police body cams and security footage through a number of means. Uh, I believe a lot of it has come as a result of being involved in certain court cases. So when footage is used in court cases against January 6th defendants, and if I'm totally wrong about it, this exact, the exactness of this, forgive me, but this is my understanding is a lot of that footage then is available if you kind of know where to find it. And we have some interesting people who are working on this project um, and there was behind the scenes a number of Jan Six defendants, and we started gathering up all of this footage. And you know, we got all of the footage from the parlor leaks, and then we've got just user submitted content, right? And so we found ourselves with just a trove of this kind of content. So in the film, there's a little bit of content that I shot because in my team shot on, on January sixth, I had I think four cameramen wandering around, and so. You see a lot of that kind of footage in my film about the Q Shaman Q sent me, but we took a different approach with January 6th, a true timeline. You know, you won't see any sit down interviews in J6, a true timeline. It's just really a, a very, um, you know, it's more of a forensic or clinical uh, film in that we just tried to say, here's what happened, then this happened, and oh, isn't this interesting? And oh, here's what was happening at the same time this was happening. And trying to help people get a little bit of an understanding of how different things were playing out at different parts of the Capitol. Uh, Because most people have just been under just a total barrage of footage without context is what I'll call it, right? And so, you know, for example, one thing that people... 
people have commented on when they watched the film J6 a True Timeline is they weren't aware that Trump was still speaking for like 15 minutes after the original the breaches happened at the Capitol, like of the first barriers and that the police were already, you know, um, using like uh, OC spray and things had already shot like these rubber bullets and things. And Trump was still giving his speech. You know, it was a mile away where the ellipse was. A lot of people think, oh, well, Trump set all these people down and they went down. It's like, no, it was already actually a small riot before he was even done giving his speech. And um, so, you know, we've we've done that to try to just, you know, give people a better perspective on things. And and the, the the reception's been really good. We've got, you know eight, nine million impressions, um, you know, almost a million views across platforms um, about this film. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we did, you know, volunteer hours. I put money into it as I always do. Cause I guess I hate my life in 401k. <laughs> so I dump it into films that make no money, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of a crowdsourced film really. Yeah. And I'll tell you this because I don't want to give away too much of it, but I mean, me as skeptical as anybody about this whole uh, insurrection narrative, um, I had I was under the impression. Now, I, I guess what I should say is we were all shown, I don't know, 20 seconds of very violent activity in the year or so after January 6th or all during that that so-called investigation. And so I had this impression like, okay, there was some violence there and those people should be prosecuted, uh, you know, uh, for assaulting police officers or whomever. Um, But I had my timeline was there's like 40 or 50 people at the front. They burst into that tunnel and just overwhelmed the police. And they, you know, they roughed up some police officers and then like everybody streamed in after them. But that's not even at all what happened. That tunnel wasn't even a breach point that way. Right. I mean, um, and, and then when you watch where the people actually went into the Capitol, there was no resistance at all. It, it, it's very, that was a real eye, eye opener for me all these years later, even, even my very skeptical, um, take on the whole thing was not, not informed by the facts. Yeah. So a lot of the feedback that we've gotten about this is by putting all of this into context, it's giving people a real understanding of how the events unfolded of the day. And you brought up the tunnel and the tunnel was, you know, if you see if you see the film and the footage, you see that there was just a massive number of people trying to get into that tunnel. They were trying to push their way in. The truth of the matter is, is that the demonstrators never quite breached it. You know, the the police officers had had barricaded themselves in there. And then the 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 protesters started filling that tunnel up. But the cops ended up being able to push them back and push them out and then were able to hold that position for most of the evening. And so there there the other thing that that uh, we we highlight in the film that a lot of people aren't, um, you know, aware of is that there were four additional deaths that happened that day you know after january 6th happened people heard about the death of this police officer brian sicknick which it was originally reported that he was struck by a fire hydrant and then he died that was a big story turned out that was not true that didn't happen 
He did have a heart attack and, and, and I think died the next day. Uh, but there was four other people who were protesters who died that day. And so we actually cover the some of the details of those people. You know, people do know about Ashley Babbitt, who was shot inside of the Capitol. Um, but then there was three additional people. And um, one of those people, Roseanne Boylan, is somebody who died at that tunnel. And again, we're not clear on the details. There are people out there that try to make claims about what happened in all these situations. You know, there are people out there who will say all of these people were killed by the police and whatnot. We don't make those kind of claims in this film. What we do is we try to show what we can document. And one of the things that we we also were dealing with in making this film is we still don't have all the footage. We have less than 1% of the footage that could be released from the government from that day based on the 44,000 hours that they have. And so, um, you know, we kind of had one hand tied behind our backs when we were making it because we wish we had more angles. We wish we had more of the body cam. Uh, so we told as complete a story as we felt like we could, uh, given the materials that we have. And like I said, we feel like we've got the most anybody's got in one place. And so we're, we're actually working on an expanded and revised version of this film. Um, we did have a, you know, a funder come in and help us with some money who wanted us to continue to do some more content around this. So that's really good. Um, and so you'll likely see that a little bit later this year, we're going to roll out something that may be closer to even like a, an 80 or 90 minute cut with some additional details, with some, some additional footage. Um, so January 6th continues to doc, uh, you know, uh, dominate my filmmaking life after three years. It's like in the Godfather, they keep pulling me back in, you know? Well, it's funny because I think, you know, uh, your detractors might say, well, why are you just focused on this? Well, why did, why were they focused on it for, for three years? Uh, you know, they made this big deal about this. Okay. Well, all right, we're going to make a big deal about it now, but we're actually going to go and show you what really happened. In addition also to the, the timeline, the other thing that struck me about the film was the significance of understanding the two sides of the Capitol that like, the people on one side weren't necessarily, you know, have having anything much to do with the people on the other, other than the possibility that there were agents provocateur, uh, federal or otherwise, uh, amongst them trying to get them to do certain things. But like everyone's pretty familiar with the Ashley Babbitt uh, scene, and and what you see over the doorway uh, on that scene is um speakers what is it speakers chamber or speakers uh gallery whatever it is mm -hmm. in other words it's the house side of the capitol and then yep. you have the senate side so yep. just talk a little bit about that about why that's significant and and how like that's a part of the story that nobody just even considers yeah and you know one thing is is that you know obviously governments love to build, you know, huge temples to themselves. Right. So the Capitol building is, is just a big structure, multiple floors, multiple wings, multiple offices, multiple corridors. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of space in there. You know, people have seen the footage of people walking through the stanchions, you know, in one little area. And then people seen footage of people in the Capitol rotunda, which is another area where some, you know, some commotion happened that day. But, um, you know, there's 
there's all sorts of footage of people just kind of wandering the hallways. You know, we, we've got body cam footage uh, from police where protesters are going up to police officers and saying, uh, hey, can I, is there a bathroom in here? And the police are like, <laughs> no, can you please leave? You know, <laughs> and it's like, so it's, it's just very funny. Um, and, and when you, when you talk about the different sides of the Capitol, you know, I, when I got to the Capitol, I actually got there early because I left Trump's speech early because I was trying to get to a stage, uh, a permitted stage over on sort of the Northeast side of the Capitol. And most of the people who walked, they came from the Washington Monument across by the reflecting pool. That's the West side of the Capitol. And so the the largest number of people who came to the Capitol came to the West side. All, almost all of the focus of attention that you've seen, and a lot in this film, because that's where the, the big police line was. That's where the, the um, you know, all of the structures were, where they were building out the inauguration stage for Biden. It's when, where all the tear gas was at. It's where all of the major fights were. It's where the tunnel was, was on the West side. Well, on the East side of the Capitol, you have to go kind of all the way around the Capitol to the other side. Well, there's a whole nother entrance over there. And there was some barricades over there that stayed up for a, quite a while. And when I was on that side of the Capitol, because I, I actually was like five rows of people behind Ray Epps when he was at that, that breach, I, I filmed it on my iPhone and later identified him in the shot. But then when I saw that happening, I decided to go around the other side because that's where I was supposed to go. And so I was on the east side of the Capitol most of the time. And I remember reporting to somebody that day, my experience of the Capitol riot was I was like, it was kind of like the Capitol riot. It was the insurrection by National Lampoon's Animal House because <laughs> it was like uh, about people singing. We're not going to take it by Twisted Sister. People standing on cars and then like waving flags over the banisters and just like hanging off the stairs and like there really wasn't any violence over there at all. I didn't see any, you know, eventually they did get inside the doors on the east side, but they just outnumbered the cops and the cops just sort of walked. They just sort of said, you know, we're done. We can't defend this. So the east side of the Capitol was was very peaceful. It was just like a big frat party is how it felt. You know, if uh, the America first mega crowd was throwing it. And so I was very surprised. And and there were many people. This is the other thing a lot of people don't understand. I didn't know people got into the Capitol until later in the day. I'm I'm there on the grounds and I didn't know there were people inside. It was also wow. cell phone service was horrendous. You could not get a signal in that place because many people couldn't because there were so many people there. Right. It was just congesting the whole thing. And so I didn't even see my first photos of what was going on inside until I walked a couple blocks away um, and I started to get cell phone reception. So, you know, finding out that somebody had been shot, Ashley Babbitt had been shot, didn't know that until I actually left the Capitol, um, like at 5 p.m. or something. And um, and 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 so that's the other thing that we were trying to do was show some of the different ways, because. There are people out there who who will say, well, the police just let them in and they just walked through the ropes. And it's like, well, that is true. And it's like, oh, no, it was a riot. And uh, protesters were spraying cops with bear spray and 
you know, hitting them with their own shields and flagpoles and like crutches. And it's like, well, yeah, that did happen. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, the cops were being overly brutal to the protesters for no reason. Well, yeah, that did happen. But also there was plenty of evidence that we saw of the cops being actually very cordial, trying to maintain control. They're, they're sort of like, okay, guys, this is uh, out of hand. We need to try to keep everybody safe. We saw plenty of evidence of that, right? So like, yeah, I came away from this experience. I went into the experience being more on the side of like, oh, they just let a bunch of people in and it's totally, you know, and I sort of shifted more to where I was like, you know, yeah, there were some, there was some protesters that had some really bad behavior in that there are certain people who, um, to the degree that they broke laws, absolutely did not the fake ones, but like, if you, if you get into a fight with a cop, you know, you're going to have a repercussion from that. If yeah. you break a window or damage the property in some way, vandalize the property, like, in any situation, you're going to run into legal trouble with that. And I don't disagree with that. But um, what I think is the other thing we would want people to walk away is recognizing that this is a narrative that has been controlled from day one by the mainstream media and the Biden administration and the Jan 6 committee to shape it in such a way to move public sentiment in a certain direction regarding Trump, MAGA, or really anybody who values freedom of association, freedom to protest, and to try to, you know, get your government to stop being a bunch of criminals, I guess. And so that that's what I wanted to do with it was say, look, this is a closer narrative to the truth than what you've been shown. One other example I'll say um, is in the film, we referenced this, but, you know, in the Jan 6 committee, they said that Trump sent a tweet out at like 2.30 and all of a sudden there was a surge. This is what was testified and shown to the world in the Jan 6 committee. All of a sudden the protesters surged and, and, and overtook the Capitol. And it's like, number one, no, most of those people didn't see Trump's tweet when that happened because nobody could get cell phone service. Number two, the cops gassed themselves off the West Plaza by <laughs> shooting OC spray or whatever it is, gas canisters, and the wind blew back on them in like three or four platoons or battalions or groups of, of officers. It was like 30 or 40 officers that had managed to hold people back for like an hour and a half where all of a sudden they had to go retreat. And of course, tens of thousands of people are like, let's go, you know? So so they have they have altered the narrative and the way the facts have happened for political purposes from the beginning. And we just said, look, if we can get something out there that um, is not highly editorialized, that we try to show multiple angles, that we don't just cherry pick it and show only the good, wonderful patriots who were there, but also show the real thing that happened. And what I like to say is January 6th was a peaceful protest that turned into a riot. It absolutely turned into a riot. There's no question. It never turned into an insurrection as there was no means or plans to try to overthrow the government or capture and kill uh, elected officials. That's completely false. Um, but the question is, how and why did it turn into a riot? 
And I think that's some of the questions we start to tease out. And I think as people start to dig into it, you begin to understand, this is beyond the scope of the film right now, but you begin to understand that there was less security there. Why? Why Why do we have body cams of cops saying, we were set up, you know, we were set up to fail. Where are the cops saying, why don't we have gas masks? You know, why, why, why was it, uh, why does it look like it was a honeypot that was, uh, you know, weakened to the degree that it might be overtaken if the right circumstances existed. That's what I see there. And then why did the police officers violate what, the law um, in their escalation of munitions, their failure to warn people to disperse, other things that, you know, their BLM individuals have sued and won against the Capitol Police because they didn't go through the protocol uh, the government's paid millions of dollars out to BLM protesters for failing to do the exact things they failed to do on January 6th. And yet what we're seeing with January 6th is protesters are being thrown in jail and the government's not paying out anybody um, for failing to follow the law. Yeah. And before we get to the last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, which is um, some of the the, the new personal <laughs> uh, effects that this is all having on you, but um, the guy with the, I'm trying to remember which side of the Capitol, wherever that, I think you said was the West side, but wherever it was that they tear gassed themselves, it seemed like that for quite a while, this was just basically a standoff. And you've got one guy that keeps saying, I'm going to try this munition out. <laughs> like yeah. I've got one of these, you know, and he, <laughs> he was naming like, what do you have? I'm going to go yep. shoot, I'm gonna shoot this in there. And then, and at one point, the other, the other cops are saying, no, 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 don't, don't use that thing right now. Yep. Um, but in other words, it's like, well, it wasn't like, oh my God, we're about to get overwhelmed and I'm going to shoot this, this uh, tear gas thing or, or smoke bomb or whatever it was into the crowd. It was like, this guy was like rummaging around finding stuff. And yeah. it's like, hey, I got one of these. I'm going to try it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. He's got so an arsenal full of things. Yeah. And it's like, I haven't had an opportunity to try this toy out yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. And this is what I signed up for, right? You know? So, yeah, it, it is it is true. And I, that's I encourage people to watch it. You can find it a couple of places. You can find it on my Twitter. It's pinned to the top right now. Um, you can go to a website called open.ink, which is a website that um, is run by some people. It's it's censorship free and we're going to continue posting new content there. We also, we have an episode up there on Ray Epps. We did sort of a short six minute video about Ray Epps because we cover him in this, in this video. And, you know, Ray Epps was just sentenced to probation, uh, no jail time, um, was able to not show up or be in prison to, to show up on zoom calls for all of his legal proceedings, you know, was, was treated with kid gloves. And when people see all of the places Ray Epps shows up in this sequence of events, it is interesting. Um, I'm not necessarily saying he's a fed. What I am saying is that he's been treated completely differently than, you know, there are protesters spending years in jail for doing way less than Ray Epps did. And so we're going to continue posting more content there at opening. You can also find this under J6 True Timeline on Rumble and YouTube right now. It is up at YouTube with like 11 or 12,000 views. So um, yeah, I encourage people to check it out. 
no matter what you think about Jan 6, you're going to learn something new. And I think you're going to see it in a way you hadn't seen it before. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'll tell you what about Ray Epps crossed my mind. And, and because some of the footage, some of the way that you've presented this is actually almost like it could be a Monty Python movie. I mean, the guy with the tear gas is one one thing, right? Yeah. And, and then he, he shoots his one little thing of tear gas and, and three seconds later, it comes flying back in over his head because yeah. somebody picked it up and threw it at him. Yeah. So it's like there, there's all this like kind of dark comedy. And then I was thinking, like, what if Ray Epps really is the one, man with one red shoe? Like, he's right. just wandered in there, some idiot, right? right? And the feds are like, no, no, we got our own plot here. Who is this guy? <laughs> is he, <you> know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's totally possible. I, I don't know. I mean, um, that would probably be like the 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 the, the, the um, crowning irony of this is if, if he really is just an idiot who right. uh, wandered in and started acting in a way that like, no, no, we got our own guys doing that. Like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> Somebody take down the guy with the hat. You know? Yeah. And it's like, listen, their guys keep way lower profile. Usually maybe not now. Now they have all of these other weird uh, white supremacy, fake white supremacy marches, you know, and whatever. It's like, I think the, I think the fed cats out of the bag. Right. You know, but it, it is funny. It goes back to the old thing. That's always been the argument in libertarian circles. Is, is it a conspiracy or is government just a big dumb animal? You know what I mean? And it's like, um, I'm to the place now where I where what I say is I think that you need to assume that if you're somebody who's pro liberty, whether you're a libertarian, whether you're um, you know on the right, whether you're anti war and you're on the left, of course, not a lot of them left anymore. But if you are doing anything anti-establishment or that is resistant to the regime. You need to assume that if you're in a group of a couple of hundred people, they likely have agents of some sort infiltrating that group. I, I just think it's it's wise because I think that the government has and, and especially if you have a half a million people in D.C., two or three hundred agents being on the ground. Absolutely. I, I'll say one other thing. This is not in the film, but we have body cam footage. Um that it's about 1130 that day and a number of DC Metro cops come and they, they surround a group of what looks like just sort of your run of the mill MAGA supporter walking down a sidewalk and they stop them and they ask for ID and all five of these people are like, Oh, we're undercover. And it's like, they show ID they're undercover cops dressed as MAGA. Now there's nothing illegal about, cops going undercover to be in a certain situation right but it's like we know that there was just regular cops undercover that day i mean we've got evidence of that the question is why wouldn't there be federal agents embedded in these organizations leading up to this probably all during the stop the steal movement and so i think it's really the three months leading up to jan 6 that the federal agent or informant presence began to gain steam and, and when January 6th was announced, it was announced about three weeks before it happened, I believe, um, you know, they knew something big was going to happen there. It was going to be a big rally. I think there was absolutely those agents on the ground. And so we're as the American people, we're just trying to find out, you know, what did the government know before it turned into what it turned into? And we always find out they knew. Like, yeah, they right, always right. find we always find out. They knew ahead of time 
how many people were, there was going to be a lot of people there. There was probably going to be trouble, but they don't do anything about it. Right. They don't stop it. They didn't send the national guard down to like, you know, in fact, there's evidence that calls to have the national guard be there were refused. There's evidence that all sorts of other security things were, were done. So anyway, you know, it's like, we can get caught up in some of these fun stories of the Ray Epps of the world. But at the end of the day, since January 6th, and, and you and I are not surprised about this, Tom, we've been around the block for a while, but being seeing that January 6th is used to do what? To curtail freedoms of peaceful you know, people in this country, gets people to not speak up, the massive censorship that happened as a result of it, that happened to me, that happened to others, um, and the persecution of thousands of people, hundreds of people in solitary confinement for months before jail. Um, not being released on bail, so many different things. It's like the precedent has been set. January 6th was ruled a domestic terrorist event. And so we know that they're going to continue to do those types of things moving forward in order to, you know, get people to stop resisting tyranny. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And and the the uh, consistency, I mean, even the underwear bomber was a guy they let go through. They knew who he was. They knew he was coming in. His dad called in advance. And uh, whether it's arrogance or whatever you call it, like, oh, we're going to let him go through and then we'll follow him and we'll make a bigger score, whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, this is over and over and over um, that they they do things like this. So I, I, I want to I mean, make one quick one quick comment that's super relevant to right now. You know, we've got this whole thing happening on the border right now in Texas, right? You know, Governor Abbott said and 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 Biden administration are going back and forth and whether the Biden administration can come cut down all the razor wire and 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 Abbott's like, no, we're putting up more razor wire. And, and this is, you know, going to turn into Civil War 2.0. Who knows where it's going? Right. But but today I see that some organizations are planning to do these rallies down at the border <laughs> You know, right now, these Patriot convoys and I'm like, guys, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, like, OK, so it's like take what you've learned from January 6th. You know, let's let the state government and the federal government sort this thing out. If the state governments completely let us down and the governors and all of that, if they completely cuck and don't do the right thing. Maybe it'll be time for a rally. OK, but let's do these decently in an order. And right now I'm seeing this rally happening. I'm like, guys, the last thing we need is a bunch of people with AR-15s and, uh, you know, American flags, you know, 500,000 people going down to the border to give the mainstream media and the regime their optics moment. Right. Right. Which right. is what they which is what they want, you know, and and. Part of me saying that is a is is an acknowledgement that what they've done since January 6th is successful because I'm saying don't go protest. You know, I shouldn't be saying that. Right. I should be saying we have the right to protest. But what we know is that they're going to try to take every opportunity they can to arrest us, to demonize us, to try to get the he news headlines to scare regular people into, you know, putting up their hands and saying, okay, no, this isn't what I stand for. Right. They just need one angry, one, one Confederate flag and one guy with an AR 15 and it's, you know, <laughs> right. right. 
and they'll plan them in there if they need And that's to. all you'll see for six months. That's it. <laughs> and um, so I don't know, man, it's a difficult, it's difficult to navigate. I think um, we've got to do what we can to educate more people and, and hopefully wake more people up. And, you know, that, that can be frustrating in its own right. Well, I'm glad to see that you're in your, um, your home studio there. Uh, there's, there's quite a few people in suffering in the gulags in Washington, DC for wandering around the Capitol asking where the bathroom was. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you haven't emerged from this unscathed. Now, the last time you were on, I think you, you were finding it hard to get a hotel room in Vegas, yeah. um, because of your, your activities filming, um, uh, the Q shaman and, and, uh, Nick Fuentes. And other, other sorted characters, right? Yeah. yeah. We're not, I guess, you know, we're supposed to just hear a really bad, but we're not supposed to know what they actually say. Cause yeah. no one's allowed to talk to them, but, yeah. uh, what's going on these days. Don't you have something else, uh, that you're dealing with? Yeah. So, um, what ended up happening to me, you know, I, I did got, got banned from all sorts of platforms and whatever. And, you know, that's just run of the mill. Now we accept that as a risk. Right. But, um, what ended up happening in 2000 and in, in 2022, um, the summer of 2022, you know, the Department of Justice and the FBI reached out to me. Well, the way that this happened was interesting. OK, a couple of weeks before the Department of Justice and FBI reached out to me, the January 6th committee reached out to me. So this was when they were gearing up to do their whole thing. They reached out to me in the spring of 2022. They you know, got wind that I had footage from the stop the steel rallies and whatnot. You know, I was pretty vocal about it. I wasn't, you know, didn't hide. So the Jan six committee reached out to me and my lawyer responded to them said, you know, they wanted me to voluntarily give them my footage. My lawyer responded, said, he's not going to be doing that. You know, pound sand, basically he said it nicely. Um, and so you know, I thought maybe that would be the end of it. The Jan 6 committee wasn't like, didn't have this like legal authority, you know? Yeah. And so a couple months go by and this article comes out in the guardian. Um, and it's, it comes out in um, July of 2022. And it says film offers inside look at Roger Stone's stop the steal efforts before January 6th. And this whole article is about me and my filmmaking partner and our unreleased films, stop the steal. And as I'm reading the article, what I see is that there's a quote in the article that is literally communication leaked from my lawyer to the Jan 6 committee. So my lawyer communicates by email to the Jan 6 committee and told them why I wouldn't release my footage to them. What my lawyer said to the Jan 6 committee is in this article. We, it, it had not been said to anybody else. And so... Can they do that? Uh, I guess they can do that because it's not... It's not you talking to him. So, yeah. Okay. But what happens is this article then is referenced in the email I get from the F Department of Justice and FBI a week later. So the Department of Justice and FBI reach out to me and they're like, hey, it's been reported it's been that report yeah. you have this footage. And I just want people to understand this. Is, this happens all the time in to people the media will report something on behalf of what the to create a pretext for the government to then now investigate somebody so yeah. 
there was coordination happening somewhere to try to get me on the radar so that the government could have a pretext to then subpoena my footage. And so that's what they move forward to do is to subpoena my footage. Well, I said, listen, my lawyer said, listen, uh, my client, Jason Rink, he's a nice fellow, but he's also armed because he lives in Texas and he doesn't want a bunch of federal agents coming to his house for a hard drive. So <laughs> how about we put the hard drive in escrow with another party and we came to an agreement. They had two years to subpoena the footage. I was certain they were going to do it. They still might. I. Th it, they still might do it for the Trump trial. I don't know, but their time's running out. They've got about another six months. But I was preparing. They're going to subpoena the footage. Subpoena the footage. Subpoena the footage. I wasn't worried about them subpoenaing the footage like it was going to get me into trouble because it wasn't. I don't. There's nothing I'm doing illegal on there. But I don't want the government taking all this footage that I did and cherry picking it to try to prosecute people that I filmed. Like that's not what I wanted to happen. So. I think my troubles are all over. Well, then me and my filmmaking partner both get a notice from the IRS within a week of each other that they're looking into my 2019 taxes right now. Okay. They're trying to dig up something on me. Neither of us have been audited ever in our lives. We get a notification within a week of each other, I believe, you know, out of the blue. And it's, it all happens in the aftermath of this you know, Department of Justice and FBI trying to get my footage, you know? And so I don't have evidence that the, these are all coordinated, coordinated. I have a lot of, uh, you know, circumstantial evidence, let's put it that way. So I'm getting ready to have my final call with the uh, uh, IRS here in a couple of weeks. And they've actually been lovely to deal with uh, so far. And I think at the end of the day, they're not going to get this exorbitant amount of money they're trying to get from me because I don't owe them. Um, they've done some interesting math to try to get to a place where they want me to pay them some money. And so anyway, yeah, it, it, just say this. I'm glad I didn't go into jail. If I would have if I would have crossed this invisible red line that nobody knew about or if I would have entered the Capitol, I would likely have gone to jail or I would have had to mount up a defense of myself and spend a lot of money. You know, fortunately, whether it was wisdom, God, or a combination of both, I had the good sense to stay away from those areas. And so I didn't do anything illegal. Um, so I, I've remained out of jail. So far, the Department of Justice and FBI haven't hassled me for a little while. And I'm getting ready to get on the other side of my uh, current journey with the IRS. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's a lot of aggravation to go through. When at the beginning of all of this, all I was doing was just found an interesting story I wanted to document, throw a few cameras around on, and maybe get a film out of it. And uh, I got a lot more than I bargained for, but I also was committed to tell the story because I think it's important. I think people need to hear it. And uh, whether or not I make any money back from it, well, that remains to be seen. But I want to continue to tell stories of, you know, people you're not supposed to tell stories of and cover events from a, a perspective that maybe you won't see in the mainstream. Yeah, well, I, I can't recommend this film anymore or Q sent me or, uh, and I did, you mentioned the other day that we were both thinking the same thing um, or, or maybe uh, it was earlier in this conversation that um, 
that we were both thinking nullification when um, when this whole border drama yeah. started. And I actually I knew we were going to talk, and I said, I got to go find some of the old Jason Rink films. And I had the idea that you had made the one that's called For Liberty, which it turns out you didn't. No. Nope. But I, I found the DVD of that. But while I was looking for it, I said, oh, nullification. I forgot about this. And I turned it over. I, I have that one, too. Yeah. And uh, and there's your name. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize. I thought he had made the one. I didn't realize he made this yeah. other one. I knew you were making them. Like, I met yeah. you sometime in 2010 or 11, and you were yeah. already making Liberty Movement films. And I should note, by the way, that you have a, a day job as a filmmaker um, that you're cons- you know, uh, constantly putting at risk by telling these stories. So, uh, you know, good for you. And I'm, I'm, I, I hope that this is the last of the uh, harassment that you'll get for that. And I'm uh, just glad that you've had the courage to do it. No, thanks, Tom. You know, I mean, when we get when we get old, like me and you, you, of course, older than me, we start thinking about our like what's really important and our legacy. Right. You know, we start not caring as much about certain other things in life. And I feel like that's a little bit where I'm at is I'm like, look, you know, I, what are they going to do to me at this point? You know, I'm I'm trying to move the world through the world with integrity. I try to preserve you know, and I try to do things that I, that I'll stand behind, you know? And so that's where I'm at, you know? And so if clients don't want to work with me, cause I'm a little too edgy or whatever, that's fine. Way I see it, there's millions and millions of businesses and people out there who are, are on our side. And it's like, oh, that's the kind of people I, I guess I'll work with. But uh, yeah, like I said, Ron Paul movement's been good to me. Ron Paul changed my life in 2007. And I've been on this path ever since. It's why I'm a filmmaker now. So um happy and met, I've met great people like you along the way, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the uh the latest is called uh J6, a true timeline. I'll link to the open link uh 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 host site for that for this film, but you can find it in a lot of other places. And uh, as always, great to talk to you, Jason. I hope you'll come back soon. Yeah, man. Anytime. Appreciate the invitation. Thanks, man. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by Tom Mullen talks, freedom.com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to it's the fed stupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook. It's the Fed, stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.